Let us pray. Eternal God, in the cross of Jesus, we see the cost of our sin and the depth of your love. In humble hope and reverence, may we place place at his feet all that we have and all that we are through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Each year during Holy Week, we retrace the footsteps of Jesus from Palm Sunday to Easter Resurrection. We continue today with a focus on the cross. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Hebrews 9.22 tells us, without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. The basic idea in the sacrificial rituals of Leviticus is that atonement for a sin costs something. Something valuable has to be offered in restitution. The life of the animal sacrifice and a sense of awe at the shedding of blood represents this payment. So this verse in Hebrews makes clear that atonement costs something. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In Romans 5, Paul sums up the Christian message in words that everyone should know because this is the heart and the soul of the Christian message and what the death of Jesus Christ means for every human being. Paul says in Romans 5, While we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The ungodly? Who are these ungodly people? We have only ungodly people here today in this sanctuary and also worshiping with us online. The ungodly people are you and me, along with Abraham and Isaac, Sarah and Rebecca, Peter and Paul, Mary and Martha, and the list is endless. God is able to do mighty works of making right what has been wrong. While we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. We are guilty, but this is the gospel that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Crucifixion was a method of displaying people in the cruelest circumstances possible to demonstrate publicly the power of the empire not just to kill, but to dehumanize and by so doing to deter anyone who dared to think of defying Caesar. Talk about a deterrent. Cruel, inhuman, public, and prolonged torture. That's what it was. And the message was, this will happen to you too if you dare to raise your hand against the emperor. Crucifixion was a ritual of humiliation. It's almost impossible for us to imagine, really, but in Roman times, everyone had seen crucifixions. In addition to the physical pain and the shame of naked exposure, the victim was deliberately dehumanized to the point of being unrecognizable, a public lynching. It's important that we understand the extreme shaming that the Son of God underwent on the cross. And one criminal said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What made him think that Jesus had a kingdom? What and how exactly did he surmise that? Perhaps he was able to read the inscription that Pilate put over Jesus' head, the king of the Jews. 
you and I are placed today in the position of beholding Jesus on the cross and searching for the answer whether he is or is not the king of a kingdom. The convicted lawbreaker made the essential move. He placed himself in the hands of Jesus. Think about that. And Jesus said to the condemned man hanging next to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The two important words are with me. That's the key. Paradise is where Jesus is, and being in paradise is being with him. Psalm 16 verse 11 reads, In your presence is fullness of joy. So to be in the presence of Jesus forever, that's paradise. John chapter 19 says this, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. There is no other way to be a disciple of Jesus than to be in communion with other disciples of Jesus. Instead of making us independent and self-centered, he makes us mutually independent and other-directed. The night before he died, he washed his disciples' feet. He told them in John 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And he prayed in John chapter 17, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as you and I are one. The love that breaks down barriers, the love that endures all things, the love that focuses on the well-being of the beloved community, that is the love of the Father and the Son for each other and the love of the Son for us. That is not abstract. It is worked out in self-giving. The love that Christ enacts and commands for his followers cannot be enacted in isolation. A person who says, Jesus and me, we've got our own thing going on, is sadly lacking in his understanding of what it means to abide in Jesus. Dorothy Day, the respected, edgy Roman Catholic writer and activist, said repeatedly, you can't practice love without community. The culture around us focuses on my time, my space, myself. We are urged by the world on a daily basis to be good to ourselves, develop ourselves, and believe in ourselves. However, I encourage us to think about the gospel message, which is a bit different than that. Think of um, participating in something that is um, always for the good of the whole. That's the church when it's working the way that it's supposed to be. This is why Cyprian of Carthage um, said eight, um, 1,800 years ago, you cannot have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. It's challenging to preach this because it is so easy to, to dismiss the church when it is out of hand. All we have to do is read the headlines these last years to discover abuse. The church can break your heart with its sin. And I am sure it has. It's broken my heart a few times through these last 30 plus years of being in full-time vocational ministry. 
And it's even broken my heart this week. Do you know why it, is, it, it isn't perfect? Because you and I belong to it. It is easier to say I could be a Christian without the church, but this is to renounce a most basic and fundamental message of Jesus throughout his entire ministry. And as John uh, dramatizes it, it is shown forth most of all from the cross and Jesus' death. He is giving you to me and me to you. The disciples of Christ today, as 2,000 years ago, are drawn together in mutual love of our Lord. Despite all the church's shortcomings, the church is still the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus said from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The condition of hopelessness is profoundly challenging in the church. Hopelessness drives people to darkness, depression, loneliness, and for even some, suicide. Hopelessness can also be caused by despair. The word despair means without hope. What then do we say when someone from our Christian community loses hope to such a degree that he or she wants to destroy themselves? On the cross, Jesus Christ appears to have experienced the condition of hopelessness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As a pastor, one thing I know when I talk to people who struggle with depression, darkness, hopelessness, or despair, steer them toward pain. However, we don't abandon people to their despair. On that Good Friday outside the city walls of Jerusalem, Jesus consciously and deliberately steered toward the pain. What he endured that day was abandonment. He felt hopelessly cut off. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he begged God to spare him what lie ahead. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For your sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is what he experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he arose from his knees, he set his face like a Flint. He steered toward the pain, never changed his course, and followed the path all the way down into hell. The hell of being utterly abandoned by God and humanity, abandoned into the icy grip of sin and death, abandoned into a universe without pity, without love, without God. Hell is the absence of hope, the absence of love, the absence of light, the absence of God. On the cross, Jesus experienced the absence of God and steering toward the pain, he descended into that hell, experienced the absolute worst. And on the third day, he emerged with the the battle flag of victory, Christ the conqueror. Light and life returned with him. And there is nothing, and I mean nothing, no matter how dark it is, that can negate the victory of Jesus Christ over death and hell. Now, I know I'm moving a little bit uh, quickly here to Easter, um, but I think that's okay. Because this is all one story, as we heard last night during the Monday-Thursday service. Father Mike explained to us the great triduum. It's a, it's a one continuous story that starts on Thursday, and it, and it ends really on, on Sunday. 
For us here today, we struggle with despair and isolation and depression and darkness and profound discouragement. Some of us have found, have found ourselves um, betrayed this week. We are hurt. We, we grieve. Listen to the words from St. Paul in Romans eight thirty-five through 39 Who shall separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus said, I thirst. The Lord says to the Samaritan woman in John four fourteen that he gives a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The Samaritan in John's story is enslaved by her own appetites and her subsequent isolation, but she is nevertheless dependent upon coming to the well for water. And when Jesus meets her, we are told that he is weary from his long walk in the heat of the sun. The Lord has taken upon uh, human nature upon himself and experiences weakness just like us thirst is perhaps the ultimate human weakness we can do without food for a while but we can't do without water the gift of a cup of water in mark's gospel is held up as the proper response to human need for truly i say to you whoever gives a you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of jesus christ will by no means lose his reward Yet when Jesus was nailed to the cross, no one gave him so much as a single sip of water. Even the basic, most elemental human comfort is denied him. But he was given vinegar. So the water from Jesus' side, together with the life-giving blood of the Lamb, is a metaphor for the eternal life that God gives to our human race. Our race that seems more than ever to be bent on destroying itself and its beautiful planet. When God wants to come and renew all things, human beings cannot live without water. In the age to come, in the city of God that will come down from heaven, there is a a river of unquenchable love bought for us by the agony and thirst of the only begotten Son of God. Come to His water. Come to His cross. Come to his blood shed for you and find for yourself the gift of the love that never fails, the living water that never runs out. Jesus said, it is finished. Many think this means that it is over, it's the end, but I think there's a little bit more going on here. Jesus emphasizes all through his gospel that Jesus is never the passive victim. He is not on the cross by mistake. He is not just the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's precisely on the cross that the work of Jesus is carried through to its completion. So what then is the resurrection? It is the vindication of the crucified one. The resurrection doesn't cancel out the crucifixion as if it were only a passing episode to be noted briefly on the way to Easter. 
And that is why we take the time to be present in Holy Week and walk the road that Jesus walked. To be present, to be there, to allow our lives to be formed, to be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. We don't don't go to Easter too quickly. We allow ourselves to be here on Good Friday. Good Friday is not optional. The resurrection finds its meaning from the cross. The resurrection does not reverse the crucifixion. The resurrection vindicates the crucifixion. The work of Jesus is brought to completion on the cross, and that's what it means when he says it is finished. The Father and the Son together, in the power of the Holy Spirit, are saying to us, the work that the Father gave the Son to accomplish is consummated, completed, finished as he dies. The resurrection does not cancel out the cross. The resurrection verifies and confirms that the cross was the main event. Now I know that we can't really separate the cross from the resurrection. They go together. We're going to talk more about that on Easter. The life work of Jesus Christ is brought to its consummation. He has fulfilled the scripture. To all who receive him, he has given the power to become the children of God. He has offered himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He has created the new community, the church. The life of a Christian is lived in the tension between my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. This is the message that we take with us when we leave this afternoon. What does it mean to live between those two sayings of Jesus from the cross? Sayings that seem so contradictory. Pure New Testament theology has everything to do with living life on the edge. Between this age of sin and death and the age to come. Between the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the second return of Jesus Christ. The now but not yet of the kingdom of God. And we talk about that very often here at All Saints. Watchfulness for the signs of the kingdom of God in the midst of tribulation and battle is one of the chief characteristics of the Christian life. It is for this purpose that the Son of God became incarnate. We cannot make it on our own without divine aid. These two sayings of Jesus teach us the right way to position ourselves for the the duration of our lives. We have been redeemed and we have been given And we give him ourselves. We commend our spirits for this purpose and for this mission. His purpose and his mission. The time of our visitation and peace comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. With his shameful, chaotic, horrible death, he has gone to the very bottom, to the darkest and deepest place of ruin, And has planted there a sign that says, rescued. It is the sign of love. The love of the creator for his ruined creation. The love of the savior for his ruined people. For you and for me. Yes, of course, it all has to be worked out. The victory has to be implemented. But it's done. It's completed. It is finished. In the words of St. Paul, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Today, we celebrate the death 
of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord, our King, and our Savior. We adore you, O Christ, and we thank you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Today we find strength in the tree of life. On Good Friday especially, I am reminded that I'm a sinner saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple who is running away from the cross and yet being pulled back to it by grace. I'm Peter denying Christ and needing his restoring love. I'm Pilate condemning him. I'm the crowd mocking him. I'm Mary Magdalene crying for him because he saved my life and delivered me. On Good Friday, I'm lying at the foot of the cross. I'm looking up into his eyes and witnessing the pain. I'm looking at his mother Mary And I have to look away. How can she bear this? She is the mother of God, the mother of the church, because she is the mother of Christ. On Good Friday, I'm confused and I'm wondering. I'm listening and not fully understanding. On Good Friday, I'm finally aware that I'm, after all, a human being. A fallen human being that needs to be saved. And he is saving me. On Good Friday, I'm listening. And I hear him say, it is finished. The sacrifices are ended. He offered himself once for all to save and to heal us. And to end our constant need of offering our own sacrifices. We humans kept trying to appease the God who loves us. So he came here himself and allowed us to sacrifice him. He ended it. He offered us his salvation even when we didn't think we needed anyone to save us. On Good Friday, I sit with the reality in this darkened church with God's people gathered around the stark, empty altar of God. I wear a black cassock. I'm a desperate, confused, Love and accepted child of God. Questioning, broken, doubting, grieving, but hopeful. He is dead. The light is out. We are waiting. But the good news, it isn't the end. We are the people of hope.